I'm Rachel Tausenfreund, and you're listening to GMF's Out of Order, this time a transatlantic talk on the U.S. elections and European reactions to these elections and expectations. Great, worried, small, we're not sure. Uh, I am joined by some great colleagues. Um, Alexandre de Hoop-Scheffer is the head of our Paris office and also our research director for security and defense. Alexandra, thanks for joining me across the digital table. Thank you very much, Rachel. And we also have head of our Warsaw office, Michal Bernowski. Uh, hi, Michal. Great to be with you guys. Hi. And last but certainly not least, uh, podcast favorite uh, and my transatlantic twin or opposite, I'm not sure, Peter Sparding, who's our resident German in DC and a fellow who works on transatlantic relations and economics. Peter, great to have you back. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. So um, let's just jump right in. I'm going to start with you, Alexandra. What's the mood in France? Oh, for the purpose of this conversation, by the way, we're going to ignore the fact that there hasn't been a concession and there's some you know, questions as to when that's all going to happen. We're just going to say Biden won, clear Biden won, and ignore all the rest of it. Um, so assuming that Biden won, uh, What's the mood in France? What were what was the mood before the elections? In many places, this was kind of seen as a as a fundamental choice, maybe the most important election for transatlantic relations in our lifetime. Um, was it viewed similarly in France? And what's the mood now? Well, the mood in France can be described as um, cautiously optimistic uh, for several reasons. One is. Uh, optimistic because obviously, you know, the Trump uh, era has been a, an era mainly of uh, disruption uh, on the international scene with many uh, Trump's decisions that actually contradicted uh, French strategic interests and priorities, be it on climate or on the Iran nuclear deal, for example. Um, it is also optimistic uh, because um, we we know uh, many of the people who will be joining the Biden administration. Uh, the, so there's something that looks familiar um, and um, and something that looks like it's going to be easier to be working with the Biden administration. And so there is a sort of uh, eagerness to to get to work together with the Biden team. Um, and it's also cautious. Um, because France um, does not want to lose uh, the momentum given to Europe's political, diplomatic, uh, strategic autonomy, uh, which has increased under the Trump administration as he was implementing policies that were, you know, um, threatening sometimes Europeans' uh, security or, or interests and also contradicting um, Europe's um, uh, appetite to work within multilateral organizations. So there is, if I can say, a concern vis-à-vis um, -vis other European countries, uh, Germany mainly, um, because of a fear that, you know, countries that have, uh, you know, had a quite difficult relationship with, with Trump, and this has been the case with Germany, what might, uh, you know, emotionally align themselves with Biden's uh, policies and leaving behind this momentum that was given, uh, you know, to 
Europe's um, uh, awakening uh, to more sovereignty and more diplomatic political autonomy. And so that's why uh, you have a sort of very balanced uh, reaction in France. So, Peter, uh, Alexander mentioned uh, Germany. And uh, in fact, many said, you know, Germany avoided making any decisions about its relationship with the U.S. waiting for this election. Um, what do you think? Is it is is France right to be a little worried that uh, Germany is going to go back to 1993? Well, um, I think the first feeling, if I'm reading this right, in, in Germany is relief uh, at this decision in, in the U.S. And that's, uh, you know, the overwhelming signal one gets. But there's also um, a bit of a straw man argument, I think. They've, I've already seen some comments that are warning uh, people not to be too optimistic, uh, not to expect too much, and, you know, um, not to think things will just go back to normal. But as far as I know, and uh, I do follow the transatlantic debate, I don't, even the most transatlantic-minded Germans don't think that uh, everything is going back to uh, normal, uh, normalcy, so to speak. So the way I'm, I'm reading it right now is that the experience of the last four years hopefully is seen as kind of a warning shot in the sense of what Alexander was talking about, that Europe cannot uh, be as uh, complacent maybe on its own uh, interests anymore. That at least uh, would be my wish that uh, this is seen, um, greeted uh, with some optimism that there are things, as Alexandra mentioned, that Europe could work with uh, the US on, but that there is also the need for Europe to um, become uh, a bit more of a uh, of an actor in its own right, um, and especially this is of course a debate that Germany needs to have, um, where those statements are often made, but then maybe not backed up with uh, actual policy. Yeah, so Michel, Poland is kind of an interesting case. Um, I mean, you know, in France they're cautious, cautiously optimistic. In Germany they're very relieved, uh, maybe not optimistic because that's Germans aren't good at being optimistic anyway, but um, certainly they're very relieved, I can report from Berlin. But in Poland, um, I think the election, you know, the, the view to the election and the consequences of the election was a little different than it was in Germany or in France. No, it's definitely very interesting to listen to Alexandra and, and Peter um, on their views from, from Paris and, and Berlin. Um, if I wanted to be cute, I would say that Poland is uh, cautiously pessimistic. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but the, the fact is that, is that Poland is actually very divided on, on this result. Um, there, there is plenty of uh, joy in uh, the victory of, of Joe Biden. There have been fireworks. Uh, we didn't necessarily have the bells ringing like in Paris, but there have been fireworks. And, and that's in a nation that, uh, according to public opinion polls, is one of the very few, if not the only, European country where um, Trump was leading Biden uh, if polls were to vote, with a good chunk undecided. Um, but there are people that are happy, that are happy. Uh, uh, people in the government, though, are uh, significantly less so. Uh, and why, why is it? I mean... First of all, Poland had a pretty good Trump uh, 1.0 first administration, first term, um, because the, there has been a very 
strong bilateral relations uh, with a lot of uh, nice PR, with a lot of visits, with a lot of praises. Um, but it, there is also has been substance uh, in this in this relationship that uh, the relationship when it comes to security and defense in particular has gotten much stronger over the last four years. Uh, Trump and his administration, particularly maybe his administration, delivered when it comes to boots on the ground. Um, we now see about five and a half thousand American troops rotating uh, through Poland. The truth is that four and a half thousand of those have been decided already by Obama administration. And some people choose to remember this. Some people choose to forget it. Um, but because the uh, U.S. election became such a domestic issue, because the government and law and justice party aligned itself so closely with Trump, there isn't uh, this enthusiasm. There isn't even fully the recognition that the election is over. Uh, and uh, there is a bit of a hedging when you look at, for example, a tweet uh, from the Polish president who congratulated Donald Trump's successful campaign, but didn't really, um, not Donald Trump, sorry, he congratulated Joe Biden, um, a successful campaign, but he didn't congratulate him on, on victory. So there is a bit of a, um, a hedging and, uh, and, uh, and the mood is certainly more uh, divided, hesitant, uh, but uh, slightly uh, pessimistic. Mm, though, of course, the people who are happy are happy for the same reasons that Peter and Alexandra mentioned. People are looking for closer EU-US relationship. People are looking for greater engagement from US at NATO. Um, so that these are these are the this is the kind of debate we are having. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. We're, 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 we've got a couple of things. We have this sort of a commitment to troops on the ground in Poland and the perception of a close sort of uh, Polish-American security partnership under the Trump administration. And Alexandra, you mentioned um, that, you know, in Paris, there was maybe the perception that uh, with all the negatives that Trump brought, he did bring a helpful reassessment to ideas about um, European defense or European um, cooperation on defense. What else is there? Is there something else that um, your capitals might be missing from the, the Trump foreign policy? If we think about, you know, the Middle East or um, attitudes towards China, uh, or, is that, or is that it? Is it really kind of clearly in France just Trump as a sort of negative example? I think if we if we take into account that you know one of the what is perceived as one of the greatest heritage here of a transformed policy uh, and actually as a you know transatlantic think tank GMF we experienced that uh, these last four years is that the transatlantic conversations um, have become much more straightforward much more direct. 
um, Trump has signaled uh, uh, to a certain extent the end of a sort of hypocrisy in the transatlantic relationship. Um, and so I've experienced here as the head of the Paris office of GMF, um, the feeling that this kind of uh, brought a, a refresh uh, to a certain extent to the conversations um, that we organize uh, between French, Europeans uh, and Americans. Um, the other, I would say, maybe positive outcome of all of that is that it has pushed Europeans to clarify uh, their strategic uh, priorities, their strategic divergences uh, with Washington. Um, and probably the Biden administration will be facing a, hopefully, a much more assertive uh, European partner on many uh, of the policy issues um, where Biden will, you know, reach out to European partners, be it on China, on, uh, you know, um, designing a more international response to the pandemic. Um, and so we've learned as Europeans to clarify, if I can say, our red lines. Um, and, and also to probably think of the transatlantic relationship in a much more pragmatic way. Um, where um, we, you know, told ourselves, well, you know, when Washington isn't going in the right direction, well, we will continue. We will stay firm and close to the values that we defend, be it on climate or uh, our attachment to uh, multilateralism, international corporations, uh, the defense of human rights. Um, and we will even probably be cooperating much more with other uh, powers than the United States. So to that extent, um, it has really uh, been a moment of clarification in the transatlantic relationship. To me, that is quite a positive outcome. And at least it's, it's really analyzed that way uh, here in, uh, in Paris. Um, and so this is actually, uh, I would say, a movement, a trend uh, that we would want to see enduring um, under um, a Biden uh, administration. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna characterize that as a bad cop, good cop approach uh, that the American people maybe accidentally picked. Um, so if we think of it that way, that sort of Trump's you know rough approach uh, washed away some of the pol politeness. Um, that had characterized the relationship. And now everyone feels a little bit more uh, aware of the real challenges and potentially also uh, willing to address them. Um, what do you think, Peter, about Germany? And do you think, how op again, I'm going to ask the German to be optimistic, but uh, are you, do you think there's a good chance that, you know, movement happened in these years in Germany and we'll see um, under a kind of, good cop, more supportive Biden administration uh, movement towards a realignment in the transatlantic partnership? Well, I mean, I agree with everything Alexandra said on this. And I do think there is the shock was quite significant. I mean, if you look at there were warnings of this kind of um, development. No, I should rephrase this, not of this exact kind of development under Trump. But if you look at some speeches from, for example, Secretary of Defense Robert Gates in 2011, already warned Europeans that there might not always be a U.S. president who is as willing, uh, or actually he said the U.S. body politic might not always be as willing to um, basically uh, 
foot the bill for Europe's security and so on. So those were still in more diplomatic terms, although it was pretty clear. It just didn't get that much public attention, maybe. Um, so there were warnings. This shock was, I think, bigger than necessary. I mean, the costs are quite high because if you think about it, you know, a security guarantee that was put in question, it's very hard to make this a guarantee again because, of course, in the back of uh, policymakers' minds in Berlin and elsewhere, if it happened once, it can always happen again now. Uh, people are very closely following, I think, the behavior of the Republican Party and that is not uh, at the moment a sign of uh, comfort for many in Europe um, given that they are still questioning the results. So I think if you if you see it in those terms and then think about that uh, Joe Biden has said he will, for example, rejoin the Paris Agreement, he will rejoin the World Health Organization. So the view from a, from a from Berlin and others could be, you know, this is now the reality that U.S. presidents might just uh, go back and forth. But how much uh, reliability is behind that? If you know we've seen the last president willing to just um, jettison international agreements uh, at at uh, you know domestic the altar of domestic politics basically. I don't see how that's a, a positive sign for long-term stability in, in that regard. So I hope and I do think that um, that lesson has been learned in Berlin. And of course, the actual test will be whether Berlin will um, act accordingly. And that's still a, a bit of a question mark because it, it will mean facing some very uncomfortable truth, especially with regard to security policy, of course. Yeah, so uh, yeah, what do you... What do you think about this? And in particular, I mean, Peter Peter mentioned Paris, um, the Paris Accords and the WHO. But are there sort of, you know, in the in the general um, momentum, does the picture look the same to you? And then are there specific things aside from maybe Paris um, that you feel are real opportunities now under a Biden administration from a from a Polish perspective? You know, listening to our conversation and, uh, and actually having a couple of those Weimar conversations before, I'm just struck how basically France is tugging Germany in one direction and Poland will be tugging it in the, the other direction. Uh, and let me explain the directions. Uh, I mean, the directions in which we are tugging in Warsaw is very much along the lines of a recent speech by AKK, the German defense uh, minister, who basically says, yes, Europe has to be more capable. It has to be more uh, of a power, but it needs to remain in a close alliance and under the especially nuclear umbrella of the United States. Uh, we in Warsaw certainly do, would not want Germany to drift into what Paris likes to refer to as European strategic autonomy, where the autonomy is underlined. We, we are okay with the strategic, but it's really not about assertiveness, but about capabilities. So, uh, and it's very interesting dynamic among the three. And, and certainly this was my worry when I was thinking what Trump 2.0 would create. It would create a movement in Germany clearly toward Paris on this question of this super important question of European security. So I very much hope that Germany does not take this turn uh, right now. And I think there is a common space for the three um, because, because it's really about the 
practicalities so, so, um, of, of the cooperation, of how to make Europe both stronger, but we remain within the uh, strong alliance with the United States, uh, strengthening NATO in result of it. In that sense, Poland is very much a status quo power. Uh, we are seeing the challenges that United States is having in uh, China. Uh, we are seeing the relative decline of the U.S., but we need them, both their capabilities and their will so much because of our neighborhood, tough neighborhood and the revanchist Russia, that there is really nothing that can replace the United States in, a, in any time frame that would be useful for, for, for us. Replace, uh, entirely at least. So I think that's, you know, so when you ask uh, Rachel about what are opportunities for, for, for Biden, I think uh, for Biden's administration, I think there is a clearly I would like to see a greater cooperation between U.S. and EU. I would clearly want to see uh, U.S. encouraging greater, not only burden sharing, but actually capabilities coming from, from Europe, but in a style that doesn't make everyone on this side of the Atlantic basically hate the United States, with some exceptions, because there are Plenty of people who love Donald Trump in my in my country, um, so I think that's the that's the sort of strategic direction that I'd like uh, U.S. to take. On you know on specifics, um, th- there are lots of para, you know policy areas uh, that that we could see uh, opportunities, um, but it's mainly avoiding the the really uh, big uh, mines that. Um, even from Warsaw, we would uh, we had we had seen uh, ahead of us uh, in Trump uh, uh, second term if he was if he was reelected. Alexandra, uh, in in Michelle's version, you know France and Poland are both tugging at Germany, and and he explained all the reasons why Poland should win this tug of war. Uh, you know that that would be better. Um, so I'm going to let you make your case for why the French direction is the better one uh, at the conclusion of the podcast. But first, um, you know, posing also the question that I see, you know, a bit hidden in the defense minister's speech, but this idea that, you know, aren't there many steps to go? So one could first concentrate on making the European pillar within NATO capable. And then in 10 years or 20 years, when that's actually true, then France could make the play to make them independent once they're able to, you know, function as a unit a bit better. Or is there a reason one should already now make uh, that choice? Or is that a is that a false depiction? And that's not actually what Paris is trying to do. I think that the, the term strategic autonomy is not defined nor understood the same way, uh, depending on the country. Um, it's true that Paris is, you know, the, the capital of strategic autonomy and has been defending that for a long time now. Uh, the thing is that it's not uh, a concept that uh, should be understood in opposition to 
the United States were in opposition to NATO, but at the contrary, that the more Europeans are able and capable, Michal mentioned, you know, the capabilities, uh, how important it is to strengthen European capabilities to actually do things together and act together without always having the United States uh, beside them uh, or without having the NATO framework being the best framework within which to act. Um, and we've already seen, you know, under Obama uh, with Libya, uh, the conversations have been very difficult where the Brits and, uh, you know, uh, the French said we need uh, the United States uh, to help us. Uh, the United States said, you know, this is a European affairs and they decided to uh, so-called leave from behind. Uh, and this type of scenario is a scenario that will replicate itself uh, in many other settings. And I would say even more so in Europe's uh, southern neighborhood, uh, Africa, the Mediterranean, the Middle East, from which, in fact, uh, a Biden administration will not be willing to get more deeply involved. And so this requires Europeans to already think now about what do we do together uh, in when we are faced with these types of, of scenarios. And that's what France has been pushing, is this sort of anticipatory preparatory work uh, that we would want to do with more Europeans um, considering that the United States priorities are changing, are, you know, uh, shifting more eastwards towards the Indo-Pacific. And so the, the debate uh, regarding burden sharing or responsibility sharing uh, will become uh, more acute. And, and so I would basically say, you know, the, the strength of the transatlantic relationship uh, will rely much more on what we Europeans can do more together rather than uh, from Washington. Uh, and so the, the initiative, the impetus has to be coming from Europe. And I would say that's really the big message coming from France. Um, and, and it's not about you know, antagonizing or pushing Americans to get out of, of Europe. And in fact, we, you know, we know most of the people surrounding the, you know, Biden, uh, they will have very, very little patience uh, watching our divisions. And they would want to have, uh, you know, a coherent and capable uh, European partner in order to deal with the challenges uh, where Biden will be looking at Europeans and say, what do you have to offer Washington on coordinating on the pandemics, on climate, uh, on security and defense? Uh, and, and that debate will very much be taking place once again uh, within, uh, within NATO uh, circles. So I think this was this was a really good example of, you know, all the room of, you know, all the space of agreement beyond these kind of terms that we throw around and the debates that we think we're, you know, having and the disagreements that we're, think we're having, because what I'm reading out of the comments is, you know, all kinds of room for a Biden administration. And I think you're exactly right, Alexandra, they're going to want to support a Europe that's more capable and cooperates more with, you know, within itself. Um, and so I guess uh, we see if the wording is different, still a lot of, uh, a lot of actual willingness um, for this kind of approach. So I think that's a, I think that's a very optimistic 
sign, uh, both for Europe and for the incoming Biden administration. Um, we can just maybe avoid talking about strategic autonomy too much and talk a lot about capabilities and uh, and uh, find a lot of common ground on there. So uh, I'm going to have you, the three of you, back again soon to keep track on uh, these things as we know more about, you know, who's in the Biden administration and uh, what goals they're looking at, because I think um, I think this is a really interesting conversation. So thank you all very much. Yeah, thanks for joining me. And I hope to have you back again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant, Rachel Tausenfreund, and me, Sydney Simon. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.